Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. Good morning, Project Church. How's everybody doing today? Isn't it a beautiful, rainy day? I love it. So I'm glad that you all made it out here. I'm really excited whenever our campuses come together for unity services. How lovely is it to be able to see our whole church family? Well, just one service full. But last service, it was so fun just to get a preview as to what it's going to be like in just a few short months where we come together again. If you're here for the first time, we bought a building in Old Sacramento. And so our West Sac and downtown campuses are coming together in a beautiful building. Can't wait. Can't wait to see you guys every week. Yes. All right. So here we go. We say here at Project Church, welcome home. And actually, the sermon series for this Christmas series is called Coming Home. And I really believe that coming home is very significant on many levels. How many people are having a lot of people come to your home for Christmas? How many people are are going home? Okay, more. And there's just this idea at Christmas time that we're all coming home. I don't know what everybody else who didn't raise their hand, I don't know what you're doing. But (laughs) I was like, seriously, I thought there'd be more hands. Okay. But this idea of coming home is so significant. And I I believe it's significant because I believe everyone longs to be in a place where they are loved, accepted, and totally welcomed. Totally welcomed. And I don't know what home means for a lot of people here in this room because we're fallen people. We live in a fallen world. Some of our homes are not, you know, it doesn't feel welcoming. It doesn't feel like I'm accepted. But I believe that in this Christmas season that God wants us to remind us that earth is not our home. That earth is not our home. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. Every person that has ever been put on this planet, no, excuse me, he says this, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. We're made for another world. Every single person in this room, every single person in this world has a soul, and their soul is going somewhere when their bodies here on earth um, fail them. Okay? And so I believe that home is more than a place that our nucleus family, immediate family is. It's more than the extended family that people who in our lives that they become family because we're close to them. It's something deeper. It's something spiritual. And it's something that can only be found in Jesus. Can only be found in Jesus. I believe that we were all meant to live in, in, with our creator. We were created to be with our creator, but something separated us. What separated us from our creator? Sin. Sin separated us. And so in God's infinite wisdom, he poured all of who he was, you know, who was into Jesus and a person here on earth. And this person here on earth, Jesus, is our way back to the Father. Do you see that? Something separated us from God. We alone as human imperfect beings cannot be in his presence because he is so great. But then he poured all of himself into Jesus and he brings us back to him. He brings us back to him. This is the gospel message. This is what Christmas is all about. Christmas is coming back home to our creator through 
Jesus. Jesus is the reason for the... It is. There's, the season is a, an eternal thing. It's, it's about coming home and being home with our creator. So everybody in this world who has a soul, everyone, everyone has a soul except for the AIs that they're creating. They're going about their lives searching for love, peace, fulfillment, satisfaction. And all this time, every December, they are... The, the message of, of home, the message of Jesus is be, being proclaimed unbeknownst to them. Do you realize this? You know, I get so excited about December, okay? Not only because my birthday, you know, my father-in-law may have told you. It's no big deal. But next week is my birthday. Mark it on your calendars, December 15th. Um, Ten days before Christmas, very, you know, holy kind of thing. Um, anybody who's, okay, I'm going to stop, Okay. <laughs> No, I love Christmas because no one, some people in this world, like, it's like we're, it's like Jesus is infiltrating this world. Like, Target is playing Christmas music. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. There's like, there's these songs that we sing and everybody knows and they don't realize that we're proclaiming and lifting high the name of Jesus and saying his presence is everywhere and he's come to rescue us. That's why I'm so excited about Christmas. I'm so excited. Like, and I feel like Elf. You know, that's my second favorite Christmas movie. It's a Wonderful Life is my first. But radio stations are playing Christmas. You know, I mean, stores are decorated. Like, your senses are flooded with the name of Jesus, with the image of the nativity. This is the Christmas season. I want you to be encouraged this morning. I felt like as I was preparing that God gave me a word for some of you who have been discouraged in this season. The enemy hates that the name of Jesus is being proclaimed all month long. For me, it's September, because September, I love Christmas that much. But it, the name of Jesus is being proclaimed throughout this month, and I want you to understand that whatever is distracting you from really understanding what this season is, is all about don't let it distract you any longer. Whatever is discouraging you in this month, don't let it discourage you anymore. Whatever is depressing you in this time of year, don't let it depress you. And I'm not saying just don't let it. You know how we don't let it dis discourage, distract, or depress, depress us? What do we do? We stay close to the reason for the season, and that is Jesus. Stay close to the presence of Jesus. Do not, you don't, don't neglect it being in the company of other believers. Be in the presence of other believers so you can stay close to Jesus. Be in your word during a very busy season so you can stay close to Jesus. He's going to help you through this season because the enemy is after our souls. And he doesn't want us to be reminded of the goodness and greatness of who God is. So I believe that we're all on this spiritual journey. We're on this spiritual journey coming home and really coming to Jesus. And there's so many parallels about the journey that the wise men are on that we read about in Matthew. And it's so many parallels to our lives right now. Matthew 2, 1 through 12 is where we're going to be reading from when it talks about the wise men's journeys. But I believe that we can, we can follow the journey of the wise men um, in three ways. Number one, the journey is about finding a person. The wise men are trying to find the person, this king. We're going to read about it here in a moment. 
number one. I just want you to bear these in mind. Second, the journey is about finding a king. The wise men are searching for a king in Matthew. They're looking for a king. They're looking for the next king who's going um, pre- to succeed Herod. They're looking for a king, and I believe that our spiritual journeys, we are searching for the Lord of our lives, for what's, who we're going to respond to, who we are going to live for. And third, the journey is about coming home. You know, interestingly enough, this is a little bit of a, a myth that we sing every year at Christmas time. We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts. We travel so far. And, and, and we, we sing this song and we see the nativity and we see that the wise men come to the manger, right? Well, actually, the wise men come to the home of Jesus because it took them so long to actually get to the home. So it took almost two years for the wise men to come to Jesus's home. So the wise men's journey led them to Jesus's home. I believe our spiritual journey is leading us to our true home. And our true home can be found in Jesus. Let's open up the word, Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Actually, I'm going to start in 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Now let me pause here for a moment. Herod was a king who was a very quintessential, paranoid, insecure leader. And anybody who would possibly be a king or would possibly dethrone him, um, he would kill or put to death. And so he was ultimately insecure and, and paranoid. And so he was troubled here when he hears that these wise men, these wise men read scriptures from um, pagan seers that said that there was going to be a king that came because a star came into the sky and it appeared. And so they felt like that signified the new um, king on its way. So Herod is totally troubled. So he's, he's troubled. And then he says this, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, so all the scribes and all the other wise people that he assembled to test against what these wise men were saying, they said, it's been written in scripture, and we can read it in Micah. It says this in verse 6, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So it's pretty much saying there that a king is coming and Herod is freaking out. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I may too come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When, this, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening the treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Don't confuse frankincense with Frankenstein. That's how I read it growing up. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. 
We have much to learn from the wise men's journey. So let's pray over this because I think it has many parallels for us today. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is relevant and it's applicable for us today. We thank you that you speak through your word and you're going to speak to us today through it. So God, may my words be your words, my thoughts be your thoughts. And God, may you allow us to um, have your word magnified in our hearts. May it change us and may we live and experience this season differently because of what we hear today. And may it honor you in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. A lot of times when we think about the wise men, we think about the three gifts, right, that he brought to us. But I believe in our spiritual journeys, because we serve such a good God, not only um, is he asking us to give him gifts and worship him in the way that the wise men did, but I believe that God is so gracious to us that he gives us gifts along the way of our spiritual journeys. He gives us gifts. He's so good to us. He is not trying to hide himself from you today. I believe sometimes there's moments where we're in our spiritual journeys and we can't find him and we have all these questions and we almost get frustrated and we're like, where are you, God? Why am I going through this? What is happening? Who are you? And we're asking all these questions and we're like, don't hide yourself from me. And he's not hiding himself from you. He's a good God. He wants to reveal himself to you and he's going to reveal himself through, your, through his word. And he reveals himself in gifts because that is his nature. He is a good, generous giving God. Are you thankful for that? So three gifts of a spiritual journey that we find, much like the wise men, um, is what we're going to talk about today. So number one, one of the gifts is undeniable signs. Undeniable signs. Again, Jesus isn't trying to hide himself. What happens here is that the wise men remember a prophecy that was given. Now you have to understand that the wise men in this time are not um, what we sing about. They are not kings. We three kings of Orient are. They are not kings. They're actually just wise men, and a lot of them are sorcerers, magicians. But if you were to, it, it, those people were the most educated, and they had access to the most education. And so here's the thing. If you were to equate them to people today, it's like some people who are writing some scientific articles or some people who are familiar with the things of science or write Harvard Business Journal writers, okay? These, this is the wisest people on earth. And I actually really believe that we can, we, can, we can even consider ourselves wise today. I mean, we have more information and can share more information the fastest possible. We are the wisest the human race has ever been, okay? Or at least we have so much information. But what happens is that these wise men, these magicians, sorcerers, people who are very well acquainted with astrology, they had heard that a, 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 a pagan seer said that there was going to be a king that was going to come, and a star would reveal that. And there were some prophecies that's even quoted in Scripture. And then what happens is Harry gets freaked out because he's like, okay, there's a king coming. Oh, no, we already talked about how he's insecure. So what does he do? He assembles chief priests and scribes of the people. Well, the people that he is ruling over, some of them are, of, are Jews. And so they are well acquainted with the scriptures. And so what they quote to him is something out of the scriptures, which is, yep, there's a ruler coming out of Bethlehem. And so what I think is so awesome about God is that he gives us signs, and he'll use holy things and unholy things to point him, us to him. God will use everything at all costs 
to point you back to him. He loves us so much that he will use everything and anything. You know, I think about signs that were undeniable in my life, and I think about the internet. I think about MySpace and Facebook, okay? I think that I mean, he uses everything, right? And so um, it's really funny. Caleb and I, before we got married, there were some undeniable signs. And, you know, it may or may not have included MySpace and Facebook, okay? So we were like the original um, internet dating people. So we were far away from each other. We met, but then, like, we grew, or we, we went our separate ways. We never dated. And then um, I was part of an organization called Dusty Feed, and we did um, uh, humanitarian work and uh, social entrepreneurship in Kenya. And what I was doing with my partner was calling every pastor we knew in America to, to ha have them invite us to their church so we could tell people about this organization that we were a part of, right? And so I, I told um, my partner, I know this guy, he's a pastor in Massachusetts. I knew this guy, he's a pastor in Massachusetts. And we can, you know, see if he can have us come out and my partner's fiance was from Maine, and so we were going to do a bunch of East Coast traveling. So I called him, left a message on his phone, and for Caleb, that was an undeniable sign because little did I know, the night before I called him on his phone, he had prayed, God, why am I having dreams about Chrissy? Chrissy Daco, that's my maiden name. <laughs> and, um, and then the next day, after he fleeced God and said, God, give me a sign. He checked, he woke up the next morning, checked his MySpace, checked his Facebook, because surely that would be the way that he would get a hold of me, right? I would get a hold of him. And then he picked up his phone and he, he, he heard this message. Hi, my name is Chrissy. I'm with Dusty Fee, wondering if you'd be open to blah, 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 blah. And it was like a total like sales call, you know, almost. And he hung up the phone. He looked to, at two of his friends and he said, I just, oh, well, he, wait, sorry. He called me, we talked business, he hangs up the phone, looks at two of her friends, and he's just like, I just talked to the girl I'm going to marry. And so it was an undeniable sign for Caleb, okay? And, but what I think is cool is that God gives us these signs. He gives us these signs. But what I think is really significant about this is that not only does God give us signs, but he puts them against Scripture, and when we can hear God speak to us through scripture, then we know that these signs are real. Okay? So peace comes to us when we follow Jesus and when we take steps of faith. Caleb took steps of faith and he had peace every moment of our journey and our relationship. And so that lined up with scripture for him, right? But for here, for, for the wise men and for, for our spiritual journeys and just for you today, understand that God will use everything and anything but the word of God. The word of God will confirm it. It will confirm the signs that you are given. Some people are just willy-nilly. Oh, it was a sign. Oh, that number progression. You know, maybe he'll use all those things, but test it against the word. Test it against the word. There are undeniable signs that God wants to reveal to us because he is so good. So three gifts of a spiritual journey. One, undeniable signs. Two, ultimate wisdom ultimate wisdom. You know, I thought about this concept of wisdom when, as it relates to my son and reading. Um, Kanan is eight years old. He's a second grader in a class where there's um, kindergartners, first graders, and second graders all in that class. And what I've learned 
from his teachers is that he's really excelling. Our family's a little, little competitive. So last year when we, um, when he was in first grade, they logged how many books they wrote, they read, and he was really excited because he received the top award for people who um, read books in his class, right? In fact, it was most books in the whole school. So, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> no big deal. MBD. <laughs> so what they've told me at the last parent-teacher conference is that his fluency is so good. It's great. Great fluent, like he can, he, he, they love, the teachers love when he reads to the younger kids because it just really flows. But his comprehension level is not as far along as his fluency level. So he can read a lot of words, but he's not really truly comprehending all of them. So his level doesn't look as high as his fluency reads, you know? And so as I was thinking about that, I, it made me think about just wisdom. There's a lot of wisdom in this world. I think there's a lot of truth in this world, and all truth, I believe, is God's truth, because God is truth, okay? But here's the thing. I believe that ultimate wisdom always points us back to Jesus. It points us back to Jesus, and it's not just like, I know all these things. There's a greater revelation that comes when we know who Jesus is, and it brings the things we know into another, deeper, greater level. Ultimate wisdom. Here's the thing about the world's wisdom it's outdated. It becomes outdated really quickly. I think moms who have ever had a child and you're laboring about, what do I do? Do I breastfeed or do I, um, or do, I do uh, formula feeding? I mean, 30 years ago, it was like formula feeding. And then now it's just like only breastfeeding. And then it's just like, well, what? Medical science, tell me, give me the wisdom. But it's changed. And so things out, get outdated really quick. If you just look at a lot of medical history, think about all of, the, um, all of the diets that we follow. I mean, there's major trends. And everybody who comes up with a new trend, you wonder about their motive. You're just trying to make money. You know? And there's, like, there's wisdom that you can't truly trust. It's, it gets outdated, and there's trends. They ebb and flow. But I want to tell you about a wisdom that has never changed for all of time. And that's the eternity of Jesus that we find when we accept him into our lives. The gospel message has never changed. It is ultimate wisdom. So if you want true wisdom, the ultimate wisdom can only be found through Jesus. And it is timeless. The wisdom of Jesus is timeless. It never changes. I also believe that the ultimate wisdom is not only timeless, but it's complete. It's complete. I really believe that there's insufficient wisdom that we receive today, but... Some people live their lives based on wisdom. And let me just say something really quickly. Can I just say that science is a good thing? It's okay. I think some people read and talk about science in Christian circles and they're just like, science is the devil. But I love what Dr. Carolyn Leaf says, and she's a neuroscientist, and she has given her life to proving that there is a God through science. And she says this, science is the revelation of what God is has already created. Science is the revelation of God's knowledge. So I've I, I read about a study recently, and it says this, studies have shown that prayer can prevent people from getting sick. And when they do not, when they do get sick, prayer can help them get better faster. This is out of the University of Duke. And it, it was just really interesting to me because I, again, I'm like, there's, Yes, there's medical science, and there's wisdom in that, 
and there's wisdom that we can follow through that. And now we have this wisdom that if you pray, then somebody will get healed faster and there will be more joy in the process of healings and recovery will happen faster. It's just science proved it. But let me tell you, that's insufficient because how do you pray? Can science teach you how to pray? Can science give you the faith and belief that there's a God who is in heaven that is working on our behalf and cares about our sicknesses and is willing to heal us? And we, can we put our faith in, in just science alone? No. Can we, can we put faith in just what the science outcome is? No. It leads us to truth. It led us to the truth that if we pray, but we got to understand that the great wisdom in this revelation that people will be healed faster and recover faster can only come when we actually pray to the God who, of the universe. That is sufficient wisdom. That is ultimate wisdom. That is complete wisdom. You guys, we have a pastor in Northern California um, who had 1% chance of living. This was just two weeks ago. And he had a heart attack. And two weeks later, he's walking around his hospital room because there are people praying for him. I don't believe that science or the wisdom of this world can explain that. Today, the world's wisdom is incomplete. But when people activate their faith and start praying to a God who is real, there's sufficient wisdom in that. There's complete wisdom in that. Also, ultimate wisdom is not only timeless, complete, but it's also deep. You know, when I think about all these people who are, this, we, we live in an age of entrepreneurism. And it's like, yeah, they have these people starting businesses and growing successful and, and, and gaining more influence. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, equations that would bring you to a great life of success. It means you need to know the right people. You need, a, you need to know the right people, have the right connections, have the right networks. That's worldly wisdom, right? If you're going to be successful, you have to know the right people, right? And, and what I think is so interesting about Jesus is that he doesn't use the things, the wisdom of this world. He doesn't use the great connections. Sometimes he just confounds the wise, Okay. It's this, we talk about this in 1 Corinthians. He confounds the wise and, and uses the foolish things of this earth, the foolish things of this earth to reveal himself. Because here's what happens. You would think that the king of the universe, that the one who was going to rule next, would probably come from a wealthy royal family. Well, Jesus came from Bethlehem and born to a woman who, who people were wondering who the husband was, who the father was, right? It, it, there wasn't, there, God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. First Corinthians one twenty seven says, says this, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Ultimate wisdom is deeper than this world's superficial wisdom. Superficial wisdom is saying you got to know this, be a part of this in order to be successful. But God's going to, by his grace, make us successful because he's, he looks at the inside, not the outside. That's the God that we serve. He's deeper. He's deeper. So ultimate wisdom can only be found in Jesus. Wisdom, the road to wisdom should point to Jesus because it is timeless, complete, and deeper than the world's wisdom. Amen? 
so ultimate wisdom is the second gift we, we receive on our journey. But third, I believe that there's unlikely fulfillment that we receive. Fulfillment is a gift. But the fulfillment that we find in Jesus oftentimes can be unlikely. Let's read about this in verse 11. And going into the house, they saw that the child with, that they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not returned to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. I wonder, I just wonder what happened in the room when the wise men walked in and there was this little toddler sitting on a poor woman's lap. Like, and for whatever reason, whatever happened in that room caused them to fall down and worship him. There's one thing to show honor, and it was very common in this time to bow down to the next king. But what the words in this passage fell down indicate is that they didn't just bow down in reverence, they worshiped. They fell prostrate before the Lord and they worshiped and it indicates that there was something divine in that toddler, in that little baby. There's something specific and special and I just believe that in our spiritual journeys that there's unlikely fulfillment that God gifts us. I think about weekly. You know, on Sunday mornings, I could totally just chill at home and get rest. But then I come here every single time. I lift my voice with all of you and I worship Jesus and I see some of your faces and I'm just like, oh my goodness, this was way better than staying home and doing nothing and resting because there's an unlikely fulfillment. That what, that's what happens in our journeys. The, he, he pops up in unlikely places and we realize that, oh my goodness, I don't need the best car. I don't need the biggest house. I don't need all these things. There's fulfillment in relationship with other believers. I mean, there's unlikely fulfillment that God gifts us in our spiritual journey. And as we receive those gifts, that we grow closer to a loving Savior. I love that there's unlikely fulfillment. And he does things backwards, right? We don't have to have the right connections. We don't have to be this or that. God just loves us and he fulfills us when we come into relationship with him. Something that is really interesting to me about fulfillment is that it causes people, it causes people to go a different direction than they were headed. Let's look at this. Let's just look at this. J.C. Ryle was a, a part of the Anglican church and he said this, they saw no miracles to convince them. They heard no wise words from his mouth. They saw nothing but a newborn infant on the lap of a poor woman, but they worshiped. No greater faith than this can be found in the whole volume of the Bible. When we finally receive fulfillment in Jesus, and when we turn to him, and when we're in his presence, we have a decision that we can make. We can say we're going to go this way and keep going the way we were going, or we're going to turn and change the trajectory of our lives. What happens to the wise men is that they were supposed to go back to Herod and tell Herod about where the king is, right? They were, to they were supposed to tell Herod, but then in a dream they had it warned them to not return to Herod. So what did they do? 
if their experience with Jesus and the presence of that infant was not real, I believe they would have went back. They would have went back to Herod. But what did they do? They went the opposite direction. And they, in verse 12, they departed to their own country by another way. When we are in the presence of Jesus, it changes things. It changes the direction our life was going to go in. It is a gift when God gives us unlikely fulfillment, and it'll cause us to do things that are crazy. It'll cause us to go to church every Sunday. It'll cause us to give our 10% of our money. It'll cause us to do things that this world would not expect us to do. But that's just what happens. Unlikely fulfillment in giving my life away instead of obtaining. We're, we're given. We give more. And there's fulfillment in that. So what, what do you believe? After all these gifts that God gives us along the journey, and I, I think some of you are thinking of the gifts that God's given you along your journey, even your journey to come here this morning. What gift can we offer back to Jesus? He's given us so much. And I believe that we... We see, what, we see what we can give God by what the wise men gave Jesus. I'm not talking about the gold. I'm not talking about the frankincense. I'm not talking about the myrrh. I'm talking about them falling down on their faces and worshiping him. I believe the greatest gift that we can give back to Jesus is untamed worship untamed worship. This is not likely of, of, of magicians and sorcerers to fall down in, in front of a toddler, in front of this baby. I mean, that is bizarre. That is bizarre. But when you're in the presence of Jesus, it should cause us to give and to worship him. Sometimes I think that we think this walk of faith and this journey of faith is about obtaining and about striving. But what Bill Johnson says is faith doesn't come with striving, but with surrender. God's not saying, make sure you come to church every week. Make sure you, he's not like pointing at you and saying, you need to do this, you need to do that, and you need to do this. No, he's just saying, no, fall down and worship me. Because when you're worshiping me, then we're getting to know each other. Then we're in relationship with one another. We're getting to know who we are and who you are. And that's all he wants for us to be found in home, to be known by him and to know him. That is what he wants. So we can offer him untamed worship. I don't know about you, but there's Sundays that I'm just like sitting in the front and I just want to do cartwheels. I was never a cheerleader. I made fun of cheerleaders. But everybody's telling me Charlie's going to be a cheerleader. Hopefully not. Just kidding. If you're a cheerleader here, maybe. Why am I saying this? Stop. <laughs> but I want to just do cartwheels. I just want to jump out of my skin because God is that good. His presence is so good. He is kind to us. He gives us gifts. He doesn't require us to strive. He just says, I want you. I just want you to surrender. And when you surrender, there's unlikely fulfillment. There's even more gifts that he pours out on his people. He's a loving God. He's a good God. And it doesn't require us to just check things off of our list to give him that. He says, no, surrender. But this, Romans 12, 1, I want to read it in the message version. You know, because sometimes people are thinking, okay, worship him, so I have to, like, sing all day, every day. <laughs> when you think about, like, oh, yeah, when we go to heaven, we're all going to worship. So it's like, we're just going to sing? Like, what if, who's creating all the music? Like, what if Hillsong, is Hillsong going to be up there, you know? Or, it's, here's this, Romans 12, 1 through 2. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. 
Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. What is embracing what God can do for you? It's being thankful that he's a God at work in our lives. It's being thankful and saying thank you for this. Thank you for that. Thank you that I can wash the dishes. Thank you that I can drop off my kids. Thank you for the kids. Thank you that I have breath in my lungs. Let's embrace what God does for you. It's the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you. God brings the best out of you. Develops well-formed maturity in you. That's how we can worship him in our everyday lives. In the daily grind, we give back to him. And so, you know, when I, was, when I was reading this about the gifts that God gives us and this idea of coming home, it made me think about just the love of God. There's a great revelation of the love of God this Christmas season that we can learn here. But then I thought about the passage in Luke. And just like the wise men came to Jesus' home, I think there's moments in our lives where we can come home. Because sometimes we can get lost in the ways of this world. Sometimes we can go another direction. Sometimes the things that hurt us can cause us to do things that we wouldn't have planned on doing and it, it give us the attitudes that we didn't plan on having. And, and we just go another way. And sometimes we're like the prodigal son. We're like the prodigal son who who said, I'm going to go about the world's way. I'm going to embrace the world's wisdom, not God's wisdom, not the ultimate wisdom. I'm just going to go my way. And, and let's read about it in Luke 5.18. Here's the 15.18. And here's the, what the son says, the one who went wayward, the prodigal son. He says, Father, when he comes back home, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called my, your son. How many times have we gone about life and we've said, oh, God, I'm, I, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. I've sinned against you. Treat me as one of your hired servants. You're like, punish me. I deserve it. I, I know I, I messed up. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For my, this, my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is now found and they began to celebrate. Coming home is like a homecoming, and it calls for celebration. When we come back to him, when we come home, when we embrace the gifts that he gives us, and we embrace relationship with him, it is a cause for celebration. He is a good God that loves us and wants to bestow gifts upon us on our journey, and all that he requires of us is to surrender receive his grace, receive his love, and worship him, and worship him. So this Christmas, will you receive the true and wonderful gift of love by placing your trust in Jesus, placing your trust in the one who gives us signs, who gives us wisdom, who gives us fulfillment and satisfaction? Will you trust him this season and not allow the things of this world to distract us 
but just embrace him and trust him when you do. I'm telling you, there is a celebration among the family of God, and there's celebration in heaven when you come to him, when you come home. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads in this place. If that's you in this place and you are thinking, man, I've been on the spiritual journey for a long time. I haven't completely gone the different direction. My fears have left me a certain place. My, my shame has left me in the place that I'm in, in the pit of my own hell. I, I just keep on spinning my wheels. I can't seem to get out of it. But I just want to encourage you this morning. It's just a matter of surrender. It's just a matter of worshiping and saying, I want to make you the Lord of my life. I'm going to put you, I'm going to put you first. I'm going to trust you and build my life on that firm foundation of a, of a father and his love. If that's you in this place and you want to know Jesus for the first time or you want to come back into a relationship with him, I want to give you that opportunity. So I'm going to count to three and give you an opportunity to raise your hand so that you can, in the words that we said today, come home. Come home to him. Come home where you belong. That thing that you can't fill, the void in your life, will only be satisfied in Jesus and a relationship with him. And he wants to know you. He wants to love you. So on the count of three, I'm going to count to three. Raise your hand long enough so I can see and No one's looking around. I'm just looking so I can pray for you. But if you want to be in relationship with Jesus or relationship with him again, raise your hand. One, two, three. I see those hands. I see those hands. Anybody else? I see that hand. I see that hand. Come on, church. Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. Coming home to Jesus is cause for celebration. Come on, church. Why don't we stand in this place? And would you repeat after me, everyone together, everyone together as one family. We're all in the same house. We're all in the same home here. And we're welcoming people in and we're celebrating together. So pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for bringing me home. I accept you into my life. I believe that you died and rose again so that I could have life. I confess I'm a sinner that I need you, so give me the strength to live for you all the days of my life. I love you, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Come on. Can we cheer in this place? Celebrate. Jesus is a good God. So there's going to be some prayer partners who make their way down here, and they want to pray with you. If you made this decision for the first time, I encourage you to pray with them and to solidify the decision that you made. It's the most important decision you could ever make. But come on, can we sing this song as just a, a closing for today that we're going to build our life on the one with ultimate wisdom who gives us fulfillment and he gives us signs. He's a faithful, good God. Amen. Come on, let's build our lives on Jesus. I hope this word encouraged you today. If you haven't heard, we recently purchased a building in Old Sacramento. This is going to be the permanent home of Project Church. We are here to stay in Sacramento. But I wanted to ask you if you would consider giving, uh, donating to help make this vision come to fruition. You can go to www.projectchurch.com backslash believe to see more about the building and to donate. God bless you and let's see what God can do through us.